Yes, hello again from the Sustainability and Climate Change podcast. I'm joined uh, today by Jeffrey Rissman. He is uh, the author of uh, an upcoming book, Zero Carbon Industry, Transformative Technologies and Policies to Achieve Sustainable Prosperity. It's a fascinating book, which I gave a read. So welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you, Suraj. Happy to be here on the show. Uh, to begin with, uh, if you could give us a background about yourself and uh, you know your, your role in the field of climate change. Sure. So I'm the senior director of the industry program at Energy Innovation. Energy Innovation is a clean energy and climate policy think tank, a non-governmental organization. We publish reports and papers uh, trying to provide advice to policymakers, uh, academics, and the general public about how to accelerate the transition to a cleaner economy. And my own particular program, the industry program, is about how to decarbonize manufacturing, uh, the businesses that make all the products and materials we rely on every day, like steel and cement and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. I, um, like I said, I gave your book a read. It's, uh, it's really a fascinating book because as an engineer, I found that your book covers so many different aspects uh, from technical to engineering, to philosophy, to, uh, you know, to, to uh, predictions about the future. Uh, it mixes in so much stuff. So uh, it's, it's really, uh, uh, a, a fantastic read. What was the catalyst for focusing your experience on the industrial sector's role in climate change? Um, happy you enjoyed the book. Um, the So the catalyst for my move into industry, prior to my work on the industry sector in particular, um, I was working on computer modeling where I was the um, original creator of an open source computer model called the Energy Policy Simulator. Um, which is available online for anyone. Um, the we uh, I and teammates at Energy Innovation adapted that to multiple countries and locations, and we kept seeing I kept seeing that the the industry sector was producing a large share of emissions in country after country, and the policies to address industry were few and far between. Uh, other sectors like transport or uh, or electric power generation get so much more attention and the technologies like electric cars or wind and solar are so much more common or at least commonly thought about. Um, so I thought this is an area that needs more attention and I want to um, I want to address it. So I started the industry program at at energy innovation. And this book, Zero Carbon Industry, is sort of the, the magnum opus of that program. Hmm. Uh, you do, uh, you know, mention your, do you address the fact of the big problem of countries trying to strike a balance? I mean, if you look at India and China, for instance, you mentioned in so many charts that China is by far, you know, the largest contribution of many of the pollutions and so on. But, you know, these countries, China, India, etc., they're struggling with their industrial transformation, while at the same time dealing with the international order, the COPs and so on, uh, and, and the global warming crisis. And how do you see these countries striking a balance, especially such countries that are newly getting industrialized? 
Yeah, it's it's very important to make sure that in the transition to clean industry, it's accessible and um, and profitable for countries worldwide, including those that are still um, beginning to industrialize or are earlier on their industrialization pathway, um, even earlier than than a country like China, which is already quite industrial. Um, my the book actually contains a chapter. The last chapter is on equity and human development, which aims at providing a framework um, to help countries leapfrog over dirty technologies um, and try to adopt straight off the clean, modern, high-tech manufacturing processes that are going to be the way that all things are made, um, you know, in the in the future. Uh, it's it's a challenge, no doubt, but there are measures that can be taken to, for example, ensure access to intellectual property and make sure that financing is available for firms in those countries to make the necessary investments. So you address three main sectors, chemical, steel, cement, uh, you know, big uh, guzzlers, if you like, of uh, or, you know, emitters of carbon. But then if you look at the power sector, for instance, so you have these coal-fired uh, projects, for instance, that are 20 years old. They have a useful life of 60. I mean, what are these countries supposed to do other than wait it out till they can phase them, phase them out, or as they, as the wording in Scotland was, phase down coal? Um, so, um, so there's there's the industry sector, and then there's power plants. Um, my book doesn't really address power plants, but I because it's part of what I see as the electricity sector. Um, but I do know that there are um, roadmaps to reach a clean electricity sector in multiple countries. Um, the United States has, European countries have, um, and, and even China plan, you know, has targets to reach a clean electricity sector. Um, but since my focus is on the industry sector, I'll spend more time on the, the other half. Um, so there are factories around the world that still use coal today. Um, cement plants are a, a, a common example where typically the kiln that heats limestone to make cement is fired with coal. Uh, and there are technologies that can help. So for instance, it's possible to uh, electrify the heat for cement kilns um, or to use uh, decarbonized fuels. Um, for instance, uh, there's a chapter on using clean hydrogen, which can be burned for heat or used as chemical feedstocks. Ideally, you directly electrify wherever possible because it's more efficient than turning electricity into hydrogen and then burning the hydrogen. Um, the book covers other technologies more than I could walk through uh, for how to get off of coal in steel making, uh, in chemicals and, and elsewhere. Yeah, understood. And then uh, let's talk about uh, the technology, uh, CCUS, uh, uh, carbon capture, utilization and storage. And uh, you do you state that it's not an ideal route, but it's a good option for phase one. Could you explain that? Absolutely. So carbon capture and storage means essentially taking the carbon dioxide from combustion exhaust or from another industrial process other than combustion and compressing it and storing it underground so it won't be in the atmosphere and drive climate change. Um, there are some downsides. For instance, um, if you're using it for fuel combustion, you're still burning fuel. So upstream, meaning when 
oil or gas is extracted, there still can be leakage of methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas. Um, and carbon capture doesn't capture 100% of the CO2. It may capture 90 or 95. So there's some amount of emissions there. Um, another downside is that it increases the energy requirements because you need energy to power that carbon capture equipment. Um, so for these reasons, it tends to be a solution that you want to use where other solutions don't work. You know, it fills in the gaps rather than being your main solution. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of those gaps is um, process emissions from cement, the industry we just mentioned with the kiln, mm -hmm. because a large amount, about 60% of the carbon dioxide in cement making, comes from that limestone rock, it's calcium carbonate. And when you break it down chemically, CO, you get CO2. So even if you eliminate fossil fuels from the process, you still would have that 60% CO2. Um, there are potential other options like using different cement chemistry that doesn't emit CO2, but one of the more nearer term solutions that is more technologically mature is using carbon capture to store that CO2. Okay. What are the dates that you propose uh, or you think are right for phase one, phase two, and phase three? So um, the, uh, the dates vary by country. So it's hard to put exact dates on these. And that's kind of why in my conclusion where I draw that I make that painting of the roadmap. I called it three phases. Um, overall, I, I have this um, framing that you can get to net zero or zero carbon industry by 2050 to 2070, right. um, depending on the country again, where many countries, including countries in Europe and the United States have set 2050 targets. Uh, China set a 2060 target. Um, there will be countries that lag behind China. Those are the ones that are that may be around 2070, um, but the actual phase transitions, I mean, it's it's a little bit arbitrary because the lines between phases are blurry, right? You, you smoothly move from one into the other, um, but broadly um, phase one is how things are today where we should focus on energy efficiency, material efficiency and electrifying and decarbonizing industrial heat Phase two is when that's mostly done, and we need to focus on decarbonizing chemical feedstocks and primary steel making. Um, and then phase three are the last bits, anything that remains, and helping to lift other countries to the finish line. And then you mentioned green hydrogen in phase two. A uh, lo lot of activity in green hydrogen has already started to happen in Texas and India and you know possibly China as well. So what's, uh, is that sort of like a blurring of, uh, you know, phase one already going into phase two, you think, or what's green hydrogen situation? Good question. So of course the real world has different places doing things at different times and some amount of research and development and investment is needed to get a technology ready to scale up. The phases are when it becomes materially important, meaning at large scale for, for use. So even technologies that are going to be very important in later phases, you need to do something about them today so that they're ready to be used later. Mm. Um, green hydrogen, there's a lot of activity around it, um, in part because it has some um, incentives under the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and I think um, 
it's great that there's ongoing research and development in lowering the cost of green hydrogen. I do think um, we need to be mindful of where we use it since its best use is for things that are hard to decarbonize using electricity directly. Um, again, because of the efficiency, you lose some energy when making the hydrogen. And then when you burn it, some of that heat goes out in the hot exhaust gases uh, and leaves the system. So electricity used directly uh, doesn't have conversion losses in making the hydrogen and doesn't have exhaust gases. So more of the heat stays where you want it to heat the product or material. That's fundamentally why um, hydrogen uh, is best suited to these, these other applications like chemicals or primary steel making, which involves a chemical transformation of iron ore. Mm. Mm. I see. What about, uh, you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, uh, methane gas, and there's a lot of talk about that's easy to sort of uh, fix leaky valves and all that. I mean, what are those projects? Are they phase two and uh, what's going on over there? Um, no, methane leaks should definitely be addressed right away. There's no reason to wait for phase two. Um, I think putting in robust systems to monitor um, natural gas or methane using equipment and address leaks promptly is um, a straight, a very straightforward intervention, doesn't require fancy technology um, and, um, and is key as long as we're using um, methane-based systems. Most of the methane leakage occurs um, during the extraction um, steps, you know, in the, the wellhead and in the gas fields. Um, whereas only a small percentage occurs inside industrial facilities that are using the, the gas. Okay, and then just moving over to the topic of countries. So if you, in many of your charts, so for instance, uh, uh, your chart in your introduction about uh, China being the biggest industrial greenhouse gas emissions contributor in 2019, uh, by far. And my question was that the, uh, is, is China taking the right actions in your opinion, uh, or do they have a long way to go? How are they doing the balancing act? So China represents about 45% of industrial emissions from the global industrial sector. And um, that's huge. Um, that's a lot more than India and the United States, which are the number two and number three um, industrial emitters. Um, China has, um, so China's uh, is making progress. They are installing record amounts of renewables, um, but in terms, of, but uh, some of their progress is in other sectors. For instance, they're the world's leading market in electric vehicle sales. Mm -hmm. For industry, I think China, like other countries, like the United States um, and India and elsewhere, um, in, in the industry sector lags behind in the transition to clean processes and clean energy. So, um, so the message there isn't that different from the message elsewhere. It's that more needs to be done. We need strong, good policy to help create a level playing field for clean technologies and accelerate their deployment um, in China and elsewhere. Okay, okay, good, yeah. And then uh, 
the you know earlier we talked about the question of equity and equity health and prosperity uh, what are your comments on that especially as it relates to you know for instance the sub-saharan or african region uh, that are disproportionately affected by uh, or you know the mass migration that will happen for instance with with global warming what, what are your comments about the 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 equity issue equity is so important and um these concerns you brought up are are part of the reason why many regions that um are lower middle income are some of the most threatened regions by the impacts of climate change things like droughts or flooding or heat waves, and they often have less financial resources with which to adapt, whether that's building seawalls or installing air conditioning everywhere and so on. And that can lead to severe public health impacts. It can lead, as you said, to migration, which can be regionally destabilizing. Um, so there, and aside from that, um, the dirty in industrial processes produce non-GHG pollution like particulates and nitrogen oxides and sulfur oxides, which cause public health problems like heart attacks and strokes and lung disease in people who breathe them. So there's plenty of reason that um, low and middle income countries should want to leapfrog over dirty industry and um, develop their industrial base in a modern high-tech and clean way. Um, the uh, It's important that policymakers keep this in mind and support them in this endeavor because it benefits everyone globally to make sure that country that low and middle income countries can sustainably, which requires financial returns, sustainably um, transition to clean in industry. Hmm. What would you say is the for you know, you've adequately uh, charted out the path for industrial decarbonization? What's the next big step for the sector that uh, you know uh, that that world can see? <clears throat> Good question. So we're still in what we you'd call phase one, where I think the biggest. So so the phase one has a lot of things in it, like energy efficiency and material efficiency, which I'm huge fan of. But for a big step, I will name uh, electrification of industrial heating because there are electrified technologies like uh, industrial heat pumps, um, thermal batteries, and, and many others that can deliver high quality on-demand heat for industrial processes using just electricity more efficiently than um, using combustible fuels. Um, and the electric grid is also further along in decarbonizing in many countries than the industry sector is. So electrification is a key part of the solution and is what I believe to be the next really big step. Okay, great, thank you. So finally, uh, where can listeners learn more and what is the release date of your uh, book? When will it be available? Sure, so the book is Zero Carbon Industry and you can find out more about it and uh, links to order it at zerocarbonindustry.com. There's also a 20% off discount code for your listeners at zerocarbonindustry.com. Uh, the book's release date is February 27th, so probably by the time this airs, the book will be out and, and ready to order. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's good to know. All right. 
Fantastic. So thanks a lot for your time. And to our uh, podcast listeners, uh, this uh, book, again, is it's a fascinating book. It's part textbook, part philosophy, part uh, equity issues, partly uh, about engineering aspects. Overall, it's, uh, it's, it's really a fascinating uh, read, which I think everyone will, will find enjoyable. So thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Okay. And until next time, uh, to our listeners, thank you and namaste.